so <laughs> let's let's start with this. Um, so our, this the FYA interview series. Um, we're not going to talk about the failed Instagram live earlier that, that started before this because uh, there's no need to. Um, it is kind of the reality today, though, is that like the internet does control almost all of our lives right now. Um, I will say it does make this infinitely more enjoyable to have the internet around because, and I don't even just mean for connecting with other people. I mean like memes, gifs, like Twitter, and social media makes this a totally different ball game. Uh, before we get started with any like real questions, do you have a favorite like gif or meme that you've seen lately about the quarantine? Oh goodness gracious! <laughs> uh, uh, I think. Uh, man, not one that's coming to mind. I, I think I've seen a whole lot. I've seen a lot of really bad ones, like some, like racist, xenophobic ones that yeah. just kind of made me roll my eyes. None that are worth uh, sharing and repeating. Right. But uh, man, I can't think of. Do you have one? I can't think of one that I've seen that I just love. The one that I think of that does not, to be clear, does not express our sentiment, but mm -hmm. made all of us die laughing is what Johnny sent the other night. <laughs> <laughs> he says, the announcer voice, it shows the guy's face, and the announcer voice says, because of the coronavirus, you've been quarantined, and you can either A, be quarantined with your wife and child, or B, and immediately the guy goes, B, B, B. <laughs> and I ask the question. Oh, I was going to say, one of these uh, sports shows that I listen to asked the question, will yeah. there be more uh, babies born? more pregnancies coming out of quarantine or will there be more divorces so that guy clearly listen to that thing might be on his way out i i this morning um i was on a run and i was i was uh listening to a podcast with james uh, is james taylor being interviewed by malcolm gladwell um which was super interesting from his broken record series and one of the things he talked about was uh his heroin addiction and having to go back home and kind of stay uh stayed by himself in North Carolina for a little bit and how it kind of drove him crazy. Um, and he's talking about his marriage in the midst of all this stuff. And it, I, I, the fleeting thought kind of hit my mind. Like if you don't like your spouse, this has got to be the worst thing in the history of the world for you. And I've, I've been super thankful that I do genuinely love my wife. I know you're in the same, in the same boat, but I also just like her. I just like being with her, which makes this a completely different ball game than if, uh, you know, I'm in the house with just, uh, just somebody that I like or, or, or that I that I love because I have to. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, yep. It's a game changer, bro. Ooh. All right. So let's get started. Um, one of the things we want to do is be able to give people a, a different view of Pastor Jason than uh, just Pastor Jason. So you are a real person. Um, you're not yes. you're not 24 hours a day uh, using the common no. book of prayer and reading the scriptures and studying and all that. So um, I, I want to be able to give people kind of insight into who you are. I mean, you, we've become uh, really close friends over the last couple of years, you being here, and, and I value your friendship a ton. Part of that is I feel we're, we're kindred spirits in a whole lot of ways. Um, and so I wanted to figure out a way to be able to um, shed light on that. And so um, kind of starting out, why, why don't you kind of give us uh, insight into your, your where you're from, kind of what you're your upbringing, your childhood looked like. What what kind of started off making you who you are? 
Yeah, so grew up in Birmingham in a, in a family that loved Jesus. I grew up in a Pentecostal charismatic church, so from a young age, I was taught and discipled to shout and holler and hoop and run around the church, but it was also there that I met Jesus, yeah. and we ended up moving to Atlanta in 98, and so we ended up going to Atlanta, and really, it was in 99 when I heard the Lord call me to be a pastor, and at that time, it, I mean, ball was life, you know? it was like, Ball was everything. I just want to play basketball. I never played football. Just wanted to play basketball. Okay, you never school. played football in Birmingham growing up. No. Oh, um, I didn't I know didn't that. Until we moved. Yeah, I didn't play football until we moved to Atlanta. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So my freshman year of high school was really my first time playing football. Stop. Yeah, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so I was I, I was a hooper, bro. <laughs> That's all we did growing up. That's all we did was hoop. Okay, so, so, so hold on, set the stage with your family, though, because you're not the only athlete in your family. Talk, talk about your, your siblings and, and kind of set that stage. Yeah, so two older two older sisters, uh, the sister right above me, she's four years older than I am. She ran track in okay. middle and high school. And then my younger brother, who we grew up playing together, played basketball together. We both ended up playing in college, playing the NFL. Um, he's still in the league, so this is, he's about to get in his 12th year. Okay. And, but I tell him and everybody else that I'm the first person in our family to score a touchdown <laughs> in the NFL. I got the game ball at my parents' crib to prove it. So... Uh, so I still got that bit of leverage over him, but he is by far the, be the best athlete in the family, by far. Okay. And so y'all are going up, playing against each other all the time. Now, were y'all, were y'all like, did y'all enjoy each other's company and like enjoy competing against each other? Or was it, was it like hot and cold constantly with y'all? So here's the thing. I was always the better athlete in everything. Literally, the better athlete in everything <laughs> until, until my junior year of high school. And he started, we started to keep it up as my senior year, his junior year, and he started overtaking me. So okay. our entire lives, I would beat the brakes off of him and everything that we could do. I would always win. And, you know, totally, typically, typical older brother stuff. Right. And, and really, it was his junior year when he really started to make a name for himself. And then his senior year in high school, the dude just took off, man, was getting recruited by everybody. Everybody wanted him to play. Had D1 offers to play basketball, had offers to play football. He obviously ended up in South Carolina. Yeah. Playing for Spurrier. Playing for Spurrier. Yeah. Yep. And you go to Ole Miss. Uh, yep. So, okay, tell tell us about what what was that choice? Why Ole Miss? And also, and I'm just probably ignorant to this, like being white and in the majority, I never think about these things that much. But it, on this side of uh, kind of our family's history and just knowing you, why why Ole Miss? You are yeah, you are a large black man going to Ole Miss. Uh, did okay? Tell me, tell me about, because I would think this from perception. We're we're in Metro Atlanta where everybody's everywhere and you're not you're just not thinking about it very much throughout the regular course of the day as a white guy but like right. going right. to rural mississippi for college like t tell us about that decision yeah i see darius down there hit us with the hotty toddy hotty toddy homie um so you know part of it was a business decision so i had six offers coming out of high school i took two official visits one to oxford ohio to visit the to visit the university of miami in ohio okay. and the other one to oxford mississippi and uh and there's lily who's uh an oxford mississippi native what's up sis and i man i looked at it and i said i really want to play uh d1 ball i really want to play in the sec it's like the greatest you know, conference in the world. Yeah. So I visited, the, so the year that I took my official business, Big Ben, Ben Roethlisberger, it was his senior year. I was just going to ask about that. Yeah, yeah, 
Yep. At Miami of Ohio, so I got to meet him. And it was Eli Manning's senior year at, at Ole Miss. Okay. Both programs were on an upward trajectory. My other yeah. SEC offer was from Kentucky. And okay. uh, nobody wants to play football in Kentucky. Let's just be honest. Let's just, let's just be real. Nobody <laughs> wants to play football there. And so, JB's um, heart I, is broken I, right now. Oh, man. Man. <laughs> nobody. But but I was, all, I was also in a position where I was going to be able to start as a freshman. And so I wanted to play okay. early. Now, that was like the business side of it. Now, then you bring in like the racialized side. So, like, you know, on my, on my visit, my game visit, you know, they're playing Dixie. There's Confederate flags in the Grove. Like, obviously, Ole Miss has a storied history. And, yeah. and to be honest, a lot of it I was naive of at 17 years old. A yeah. lot of it I definitely do. Um, and so, you know, uh, it was mostly a business decision. And honestly, when I got there, man, folks just showed so much love. Um, and and, and just, on a real, just on a real tip, like, I experienced a bunch of privilege being a football player. Yeah. And if I was just a I was if I was a black man going to school there just being a student, I would not have had the same experience that I did being a, a high level D one athlete. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh for those that are not privy to SEC football world, like what, I mean I went to Auburn, so when you talk about being an athlete and kind of being kind of the privileged uh the privileged part of campus, like I mean, I, I can say for us, when when we walked around campus, when you saw guys in football sweats, I mean, they were they were gods around campus, and so um, I assume that was part of the experience, right? Was was that? Oh man, yeah. Uh, I showed up. I showed up on my official visit, and, and you know, you go on your official visit. There's a really popular bar in Oxford called the Library, mm-hmm. and it's basically where the who's who of college coeds and everybody on campus is. And I walk in there as a 17 year old, and uh, I'm walking around, and people are like quoting my my high school stats to me. People are quoting my high school stats. They've been following message boards. They know when I'm coming into town. They know, like, they knew everything. And I'm like, yo, for a 17-year-old, bro, that's stroking the ego, man. And so like, I was like, oh, man, these folks know me. These right. folks love me. I'm going to play here. Yeah. It, isn't it so funny to describe that in retrospect when you have, like, a whole bunch of weirdos who are nerds on a message board coming up to you like, hey, I saw you rush for 600 yards last year. This is amazing. Like, in no other setting would that be attractive to a person, right? Right, right. But in sports, it, 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 it just flips. Yeah. 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 It, you know, SEC fandom's the only place where you can be a borderline stalker and it's actually, like, uh, tiered instead right. of being frowned upon and prosecuted. You know what right. I'm What's the norm? So, so yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so, as you're at Ole Miss, at what point did you know you had some kind of NFL potential? Yeah, I, you know, I think I think there's a certain edge to every player where you kind of got to play with uh, a bit of a uh, just kind of a, uh, just an arrogant mentality, man. I think you got to okay. play thinking that you're the best, and, and often if you don't play thinking you're best then there's a chance that you're going to go out there and get embarrassed me i yeah. knew my junior year that i was one of the better fullbacks in the country i knew i was that no one on the field was going to be stronger than me no one was going to outwork me no one was going to out tough me so about my junior year i kind of knew i had a shot yeah but even then even then it wasn't clear because i played with patrick willis and dexter mccluster and yeah. uh like six other guys parade jerry who 
was a first-round pick. Michael Orr was a first-round pick. Patrick was a first-round pick. Jamarcus Sanford was a third-round pick. Yeah. So I was, I'm playing with all these guys and playing against guys in the SEC that I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy's a shoe-in. Right. But, like, here I am as a fullback. There's no chance. There's no <clears throat> real good way to understand where I'm at. Yeah. Uh, but it really wasn't until the end of my senior year that I really knew that I had a shot. Okay. And are you hearing from scouts and stuff, or is that something that you, you're kind of monitoring your progress in mock drafts and all that? Yeah, I, I did personally. Um, and, and I just kind of sensed, I knew kind of how the coaches were regarding me and how my opposition was regarding me. Okay. I, I knew that I was good. And then my senior year, I started um, as I started hearing my name being floated around more often. I had agents come start pursuing me, okay. scouts that I was meeting. And so that's how I knew that uh, that I was kind of on the, on the big board. And then when I got invited to the NFL Combine, I got invited to the Shrine Bowl um, and got invited to the NFL Combine. And that's when I really knew I had a real legitimate shot. Yeah. All right, let me put you on the spot. What did you run your 40 in at the Combine? So I didn't run my 40 at the Combine okay. because <laughs> I had a knee injury. So I got hurt. My, the very last game, bro, <sighs> Played against Mississippi State, I got hurt with a pretty significant knee injury. Dang. But um, so I didn't run. I didn't run it there. But at my pro day, at my pro day, I ran a four six one at at two hundred and forty eight pounds. I ran a four six one. So coming out of high school, I ran a. I coming out of high school, I ran a four five a four five six in high school. Did you see and Darius? So Darius put turtle the turtle logo. <laughs> Man, Darius is a hater, bro. <laughs> oh. Darius is a hater. The worst. Um, yeah. And you and did you play? Uh, you played halfback in high school. You played running back in high school. I played. I played tailback. I played tight end. I played okay. fullback. But really, my primary position was linebacker. So I played okay. inside and outside linebacker in high okay. school. Awesome. Yeah. And so you go to the you go to the, the combine and tell us about the, the whole process of like from from the combine and pro day and all that stuff to joining up with the Ravens. What, what was what was that story? Yeah. So it was wild. So first of all, let me say to get a chance to go to the NFL combine is a super high honor. But then to be there at the same time that your brother is, and for two brothers to be there at the same oh, time, that's really that. special. Yeah, so he oh, came wow. out a year early. Okay. Yeah, he came out a year early, so we were there together, which was like super special, bro. Oh, but like, man, when you talk about like the best, the best of the best in the country, guys that you yeah. watch on TV, now all of a sudden you're standing in the same room with. Yeah. And uh, I get there with all the running backs, and um, <clears throat> Brandon Sutherland, who played fullback at Georgia, okay. a guy named. Uh, Quinn Smith, who played fullback at LSU, and myself were three of only six fullbacks to get invited out of the entire country. Wow. And so, oh, wow. you know, I'm like to my left is like Matthew Stafford, to my right is like Brian Arakbo. Like, wow. you know, across the room is Arian Foster and I were in the same group. Arian, so I was running back number five. Uh, Arian Foster was running back number nine. Okay. And so, you know, I mean, these guys were just incredible guys just good yeah. dudes we're all kind of in the same boat being the combine you get a ton of gear it's super high pressure long days yeah. um but i didn't do any of the field work because i was hurt so i just did okay. basically the stuff that i could do well i never thought that i would get 
drafted, but I was getting calls from teams that made it seem like I was going to get taken in the later rounds. Okay. So draft, so draft day comes, bro. Everybody is at my parents' house in Sewanee, which is right down the road from where you know what I'm saying we went to high school from each other. Everybody's in there. Mom's cooked a big spread. My brother is expected to go in the first two rounds, so he's a first second round. He's got a first second round grade, so we're all there for him. Right. Yeah, so yeah. We, we sit there Friday night and work through the whole first round and the whole second round. He doesn't get drafted. Yikes. It was rough. It was yeah. rough. Uh, and then the next day, Saturday, he got picked up in the third round by the Titans. And then, so he's on the phone with the Titans. They call him. They're drafting him. He's getting his stuff in order to go to Nashville. So I'm sitting there on the couch just waiting for my name to be called. And I keep getting phone calls, fifth, sixth round. And, uh, you know, long story short, the Ravens, at the end of the draft, the Ravens end up taking uh, a guy instead of drafting me, but I was the first free agent they signed. Okay. So they told me, hey, bro, here, we're going to take we're gonna take this tight end, we're going to take him here, but we're also going to sign you, and we want you to come play with us. At the same time, I think the Bengals called, the Browns called, the Jaguars also called. Okay. And um, so basically, I got to pick where I wanted to go, and so I picked going Man. to Baltimore. Yeah, and why'd you pick Baltimore instead of one of the other places? So Baltimore had a guy at running back who was in a contract year. So uh, Willis McGahee was there. Um, uh, Cedric Pierman had gotten drafted out of Virginia. And, um, um, uh, oh, my goodness, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, Leron McLean, who played uh, fullback and tailback in Alabama, he had played fullback the year before, but he was in a contract year trying to get paid that halfback money because that running back money is exponentially greater than that fullback money. Generation-changing money, yeah. Oh, man, absolutely. So he's trying to play tailback. They've got an open spot at fullback, so they bring me in to say, hey, can this guy play? If this guy can play, then maybe we might sign him, move Leron, so he can play both. So And Joe Flacco was there. They came off a great season. And who doesn't want to play with Ray Lewis and Ed Reed? Right. You know what I'm saying? And oh, like, yeah. Just absolute, yes. absolute legends, bro. Yeah. So, so, uh, so, yeah, man, I packed up my stuff and my, and my 99 Maxima, and I drove from Suwannee, Georgia, to Owings Mills, Maryland. Okay. And you – I think you told me before, and I might be wrong, you roomed with Michael Orr in camp, right? Because y'all had played together at Ole Miss, and they had drafted Michael Orr. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. So Mike got drafted in the first round. We were roommates together. Okay. Okay. And so you go through camp that summer, and t- I don't know how much you, I don't know how much is, is entertaining or that you want to share about that, but uh, what was that experience like? And then tell us about the, the Atlanta game. Yeah, so so that summer was wild, bro. So first first of all, you got all these dudes in the NFL that are basically like uh, some of them are kids with muscles and mustaches and really expensive toys. Right. So like the second you pull into the parking lot, it's like an exotic car show. Like some dudes driving like a brand a brand new Audi sports car. Yeah. Like another dude is driving like a, a, a seven series BMW that's got more upgrades to it than I've ever seen. One dude's literally driving like a like a semi truck. It's like a four fifty. <laughs> it's like literally he's driving like a semi. Like this dude is at is at the facility in a doggone semi, bro. Um, and so, yeah, exactly, bro. So so I mean, it was it was all business, man, and, and 
And so to go from college where you've got kind of your day is structured, it's rigid, you've got coaches that are telling you what to do, you got classes, now it's just football all day. Yeah. Um, was really, really strange. But, um, but man, they sent me two playbooks. So in both playbooks were, were this thick ahead of me reporting to Baltimore. So the first day I got there, we took a test on knowledge of offense. So we're taking a test on knowledge of offense. The only person that scored higher on that test than I did was Joe Flacco. Oh, wow. Right? So oh, wow. already coming already coming through the door, I was like, man, I'm ready. Like, I'm yeah. ready. I'm about to get it. And then get up there, and I'm battling the knee. I'm away from home. I feel God is, like, tugging me, and, like, he's been calling me back to doing the ministry, but I've been running away from him. Yeah. And so all summer, it's, it's this really strange game between, like, where I am and where I know I should be. Wow. And so... Yeah, man. So, you know, everybody was doing the partying thing, you know, guys having folks at their house. Me, it was like, if I wasn't at my hotel room, then I was at the facility. Yeah. And um, so anyway, getting to preseason at NFL camp is horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> NFL camp for a rookie, bro, is horrible, bro. It's terrible. So it's, I mean, it's 24-7 ball. Um, you get hazed by all the older players, so there's hazing that happens. So, like, yeah, what, so what was the worst that you got? I mean, you might not be able to tell this story on on the internet, but did you have any any like stories you can share from that from that part of it? Yeah, I got some. I can't share them all, but I, I got <laughs> some I can share. So, so every night we had a team meeting, and every single night a rookie was required to perform for the team. So you had to either sing a song, rap something do something from a skit, do a stand-up routine, and the whole thing was set up to be a booth fest from the very beginning. So, like, so like the whole thing, like, they are trying to embarrass you, bro. Yeah. Like, they are they are actively trying to break your will and your spirit. Right. So, like, I love that so much. Goes, a week goes by, I don't get called, and then the second week, my name gets called. I've been thinking and racking my brain, like, how in the world, like, what am I going to do? Right. It's like, it's like, Am I going to be super Christian here? Am I going to get up and like right. uh, recite scripture, or am I just going to like kind of you know, am I going to go back to am I going to go back to like high school days and start rapping Three Six Mafia, Pastor Troy, right? So, so I you know, I, I decided to settle somewhere between the two. So, so I rapped the first uh, verse to "Send Me, I'll Go" by Lecrae. So, like, so, so here's the scene. So here I am. <laughs> so, Clapping, like clapping, deuces clapping. 
rapping? Like, yeah, that's what's up. Because at that point, it's like they realized I was rapping about Jesus. And, like, didn't nobody in there really want to boo Jesus? <laughs> so, 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 you can't boo Jesus. So, so you Jesus cool. juke the entire team? The whole team. But what was cool is the next day, I'm sitting there getting my ankles taped. And uh, our franchise player, uh, uh, defensive end, is sitting there. He's getting his, his ankles taped as well. And... Uh, and he was like, hey, man, what was that song you was rapping about yesterday? So I told him about the song and whatnot. And he was like, so tell me, what does the song mean? And, like, right there on the training table, I got to share Jesus with this dude who had who was a, you know, 14-year NFL vet, had a wow. chance to play multiple pro balls. And so the Lord definitely used it. But, That's awesome. but, bro, when I heard that first boo, I wanted to crawl underneath a rock and hide, son. Like, I was done, bro. Okay. I, I, was I, like, would... man, I ain't doing this, G. I love seeing footage of that kind of stuff with all my heart. Like, nothing makes me happier than seeing that. Like, when, when you get set up and it's just booming. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so you go through the preseason, and then you, obviously, like, Swanee, Georgia, for those who don't know, is Metro Atlanta. So it's about, with no traffic, it's like 20 minutes from downtown. With traffic, it's four or five weeks um, of sitting in, in your car. But, um uh, so you you the Ravens go to play the Falcons, Atlanta Falcons, and you're playing in front of your home crowd. And uh, tell us about that. Yeah. So before the game, the offensive coordinator tells me I'm starting, which hadn't happened all preseason. So the first preseason game, I played like 15 snaps. The second preseason game, I played like 17 snaps. The third preseason game, I played two snaps. They were victory at the very end. So I'm real kind of discouraged at this yeah. point. But the third game is really a dress rehearsal for uh, the vets. Mm-hmm. So the fourth game, it's like the vets are off. So I know I'm playing the whole game. So I get it to start. It's in Atlanta. Everybody's there. Um, friends, family, everybody from Sawani's there. Um, and the first drive of the game, I score a touchdown in the south end zone at the what is then the Georgia Dome. Right, so it's like I'm a I'm a Raven, but I'm playing against the Falcons. It's like man, this is the stuff that dreams are made of. Oh bruh. yeah. And, yeah. and so, uh, man, I dive into the end zone, and it, it's the it's the one culminating moment I've always expect, always dreamed about my whole life. I've always wanted my life to culminate in this way, kind of like when Rudy gets hoisted up. Oh, it's yeah. like the one yeah, apex moment of my life is when I get to score a touchdown here. But, man, I did, bro, and right. so the most disappointing experience of my life. Man. So, you know, I get back to the sideline, and, I'm high-fiving my, my coaches. Oh, man, what's up, sis? My sis, Tasha. My sister, Tasha. My oldest sister, Tasha's on here. Okay. What's up, girl? Um, and I get back to the sideline, man. I'm high-fiving these coaches. And I sit there, like, is that it? Like, because I thought it was going to be way more than that, bro. Like, I thought it was going to be way more. And it wasn't. And so I was really confronted with, like, an existential question there. Yeah. Like, who am I if it's not this? Hmm. Right? Like, who am I if this is what I always wanted my life to be? And now that I've uh, achieved my wildest dream, it's empty. And I went right back to when I was 12 years old, 13 years old, sitting in church. God calls me to be a pastor. And I was like, I was like, yeah. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. So it's, it's funny that my sister's on here because when I decided to walk away from the NFL, 
Um, I kind of wrote her this email and kind of told her kind of what I was thinking because I knew folks were going to have an issue with it. And, man, she told me straight up, she said, Tosh, I don't know if you remember this, but she said, I love you for who you are as my brother. I don't love you because you're a football player. And that really put wind in my sails. It really gave me strength because Mm -hmm. I didn't anticipate most of my family or most of my friends walking away from me in that season. But that's exactly what happened. A whole lot of people were like, hey, we rock with you. Not that you're a football player, but like not that you're just an average Joe and you a washout. Like we don't really want much to do with you. Man, that's crazy. So, so I mean, after the game, after that, after the preseason, like, what was your decision making point? Like, when did you have to let them know? uh, And then, how did you make that decision? So I knew then that I was done. Uh, and wow. actually, I knew I knew about a month, I knew about a, a week in the camp that I didn't want to spend the next few years of my life playing in the NFL. I knew that, but that's crazy. Like, who says that, right? right? Like, well, and the like, money involved, like, yes. What's the There's NFL? Money. What's the minimum? The the minimum salary? So the year that I was there, the league minimum was three fifty five. The next year, it moved up to four oh five. I'm not sure where it is now, but it's probably somewhere between. Uh, five and six hundred thousand dollars. So I mean, you know, cut that in half after taxes. Uh, you know, still one fifty is pretty good to be making. You know, when you're 22? 22, 23 <laughs> years old and you're in the NFL. You think you could train me to yeah. be a holder? Right, right. So <laughs> get out there and start putting. Right. Get out there. And teach I just need to be on a roster. Really I don't need to play. <laughs> That's yeah. right. So, right. go ahead, go ahead. so at the end of the preseason, like, well, at the end of the preseason, there's a, a, a point where, like, I knew I was done, but they hadn't made the final call. So I made it all the way through all the final cuts. So the final cut comes, and I said, if they cut me, I'm done. If they keep me, then uh, then I'm gonna I'm gonna stay and maybe try and figure it out, but I'm probably gonna end up quitting anyway. Yeah. So final cut comes, they they cut me. And just to kind of twist the knife in even even further, the head coach, John Harbaugh, uh, in my exit interview, he said, hey, you've been great for us. We really appreciate um, all that you've done. And uh, uh, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. And I was like, all right, coach, I appreciate the opportunity. He was like, all right, Jared, take care. So he calls me by my brother's name. <laughs> so so walking, so walking out, so walking out of the office, I just start smiling because it's like more confirmation that like I ain't supposed to be here. I've been up here four months. Here four months, and you don't even know my name, bro. Like, like oh. to me, that was the point when I was like, yeah, 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 yeah I'm done. So, did you so, not want to be like, Jim? I'm already cut. I might as well go ahead and give him one. <laughs> Yeah, I did. But at the same time, I was so relieved, man. Yeah. Like, I was so, because now I got to make a decision for the first time in my life, right? So, so uh, there's this really beautiful book called Native Son. And in the book, this young African American man, uh, this young black kid, basically, it has the entire world making every single decision for him. He has no agency. He has no control. He has no uh, kind of upward mobility. He's at the subject in the, in the, the, the desires of everyone who's around him. And he gets in a situation where he accidentally, um, he's in a relationship with this young white girl, and it's really morbid, really, really crazy, but the whole book revolves around the one pure decision that he ever made was he decided that he was going to end this girl's life and throw her in a furnace. 
And the whole book is built around that being his one decision in his entire life that he's ever made that was purely his, right? Just wow. really, beautiful, really beautiful book, quintessential black literature. If you've not read Native Son, you need to, Richard Wright, you need to read it. Okay. Well, I felt in that moment, it was the first time I made a decision where I made it because I knew I was walking in faithfulness and obedience to the Lord, as opposed to making a decision that everybody else wanted me to make. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And, and so, and so for me, it was like a super easy decision. Now my agent, he hated it. <laughs> uh, a lot of people in my family, they hated it. Yeah. A lot of my former teammates, they hated it. Um, but for me, man, it was the one decision that I made to this day. It's one of the best decisions I've ever made. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I, I would say yes. <laughs> I would, I would affirm you on that. Um, <clears throat> so you, at that point, where did you go? Did you go back? Is that when you started working with Ole Miss? Yeah, so Houston Nutt had just got had hired, been hired the year before. He calls me and he says, you know, actually a buddy of mine, John Engstrom, calls me while I'm up there. He says, hey, I don't know what you're thinking. This is at the time when I'm like, I don't really know that I want to play in the league. Yeah. He's like, I don't know what you're thinking, but if you ever wanted to come back and work for FCA, you've always got a place. I'm okay. like, yo, I don't think this is going to work out. I need a job. I would love to work for FCA. FCA was super big in my life. Yeah. Houston Nutt calls me, and he invites me personally to come and be his team chaplain. And so okay. that's when I said yes to that. And so yeah. I went from Suwannee to Baltimore, and then from Baltimore to Oxford, Mississippi, and then I was there for the next two and a half, three years. And when you got back to Oxford, did you feel so relieved? Or how, did it feel weird being back as the chaplain, not as the football guy anymore? Well, I guess you're always kind of the football guy there, right? Sure, yeah, but I felt like a failure. Because uh, at these SEC schools, like, you know, if you when you come back, you come back as the hero, right? I came back as the putts. I came back as the failure. I wow. came back as the guy who quit and walked away. Wow. Now, you know what I'm saying? Like, I parlayed that thing and I flipped it and reversed it into a testimony to see what God was doing in my own life, which was great. But at that point, I didn't have much of the proof, uh, much of the evidence to back up the decision. At that time, it was like, hey, I played here six months ago. Now I'm back. It's kind of like, oh, you're doing this because you couldn't hack it. I think now people yeah, look at my yeah. life and they're like, man, he made the he made the right decision. He made the best yeah. decision he could have ever made. <clears throat> but but man, I felt like a failure. I, I I had a severe identity crisis. I was like, man, who am I now that I'm not a football player? Yeah. What am I going to do in my life now that I'm not doing this anymore? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and that that first three to six months was hard, bro. It was real hard. I can't imagine. How long did you stay there at before deciding to go to seminary? So I was there for let's see a year and i went on a mission trip to rome and i'm standing on the rooftop of a hostel uh in southern italy in sorrento i've got the mountains behind me i've got the mediterranean sea in front of me i've got my ipod in i'm listening to worship music and i'm reading my bible and 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 much like my call to ministry i really sense and felt god calling me to seminary i didn't want to go to seminary so i (laughs) I got an issue with these ivory tower cats you know what i'm saying like i got an issue with these like like pie in the sky, like right. full head full of knowledge. Like you ain't spent five minutes in the mud and in the dirt with somebody, right. but you want to pontificate about all the nuances of super libertarianism. <laughs> like I ain't like no, like I ain't got time for that. So like every seminarian I knew was like that. Right. And I made a promise. I was like, bro, that ain't me. I'm not gonna be that. So I said, no, no, no. Yeah. 
Well, then on, on, on the rooftop of the hostel, God was like, no, you need to go, which was confirmed. Man, crazy. I, we ain't got time for this. It was confirmed in a dream, and it was confirmed to a woman that I didn't even know. Wow. So two years later, 2011, I pack up my stuff and move to Birmingham to go to Beeson Divinity School. That's awesome. And Beeson, for those who don't know it, is a super academic seminary too it's not you know i think there's this notion within seminaries of um that it's kind of pastor school and you kind of go there if you're great with ministry and you kind of learn your bible stuff and move on like beeson is is grad school not it's not just you know bible class yeah yeah um, yeah and yeah beeson beeson is it's a beast my, my homie sam uh, down at Wright Baptist, I see you, homie. Uh, Sam's also a graduate of Beeson. Beeson is a reformational seminary. It's academically rigorous. It's pastorally intensive. Uh, it's communal, and um, it's it was the best three to have. It was among the best three to have years of my life. Yeah. At Beeson. yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, we don't have a ton of time left, so I want to get to the good stuff, which is not seminary. Um, Tell us about meeting Courtney and about uh, y'all's relationship getting going, and then uh, we'll talk about your move to Memphis and then kind of wrap up there. Yeah, so Courtney and I met through a mutual friend. So a strength coach I had at Ole Miss and Courtney were like brother and sister. And I went down to visit seminaries and ended up meeting Courtney and linking up with Courtney. And a year later, Courtney and I ended up started, we started dating. So January 1st, 2012, we started uh, dating. And really it was courtship because it was long, it was long distance. Yeah. We get married January 2013. And then uh, she moves all of her life to Birmingham at the time. I'm still in seminary. 2013, uh, we get pregnant with Charlie, our first child that summer. And January of 2014, I start a new job. I'm planning a church. Uh, Charlie's born in March, and we launched and planted church in September of 2013. We also moved that year, bought a house. So it's like all of the top stressors that you can have, we did them all in a span of about 12, 13 months. Right, know? right, right. Um, yeah, so 2013, 2014, we planted Iron City Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, during that season, we also got pregnant with our second child, uh, Kajer Cook, and my wife is, like, Courtney's amazing, um, and she is my greatest uh, partner, she's my greatest companion, and my greatest cheerleader, she's also a really, really wonderful, good faith critic, and she's just, like you said earlier, she's just, man, a ton of fun to be around, fun yeah. to kick it with, and so, yeah. um, so 2014-2015, uh, we were at Iron City Planning. Around 2015, I kind of sensed that it's probably time for us to go. 2016, Kate, Kate was born December 2015. 2016, I come home, and I'm like, we got to go. We got to get out of here. And, um, man, I knew I'd always, like, Fellowship Memphis was always the place I'd looked at, and I was I would always would love to have worked at Fellowship. But, like, I didn't know anybody up here. And from the time Courtney and I were dating, I always told her that I would I would go to fellowship and work there for free. And so I'm talking to a buddy of mine. My buddy's like, hey, you should talk to John Bryson. I'm like, I don't know JB. Like, I know him, but I don't know him. Yeah. So I get JB's number. I call JB and just kind of tell him my situation. JB's like, oh, cool. Why don't you come to Memphis? So at, at the time, I'm going to plant another church in Birmingham. So I think I'm coming to Memphis to get some money to plant a church. Right. Talk to, you know what I'm saying, another fellow church planner. 
Yeah. I get to Memphis and I get to Memphis and I sit down with Ricky Jenkins and with JB and uh and that's when it was like, Oh, God I think is calling us to come to Memphis. And so in twenty sixteen we said goodbye to some people that we still deeply, truly love yeah. and care for. And we moved uh we moved here to Memphis in April of twenty sixteen. So here in about three weeks it'll be four years since we've been here in Memphis. Crazy. So what 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 was the draw? You know what was it that made you feel like, uh, hey, this might be a place that we could stay and really thrive? Like what, you know what what was that for you guys? There were there were, there's a couple of things in fellowship DNA that for me I think were non-negotiables. I think one was a Christ-centered approach. It was a high view of Scripture. It was a high emphasis on the triunity of God. Um, it was on the utter necessity, or excuse me, the sufficiency of, of the Word of God and the necessity of the church to be gathered together. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of icing on the top of the cake, like I've been in, uh, I planted in a Southern Baptist context. I was the only black dude in the entire church for a long time. Yeah. And so I, I wanted a place where the church reflected what our family looked like. And so as a family yeah. that's biracial, I wanted to go to a church that was at least biracial. Mm-hmm. The fellowship has been leading into multi-ethnic ministry for more than a decade. And for me, it was a no-brainer. For me, it was yeah. like, yeah, like, this is where we need to be. Um, and the pace of ministry, like, you know, at Fellowship, at other places I've been, it's a grind. It's, you know, if you're not in the office eight hours a day, then you're not doing ministry. Yeah. Um, and at Fellowship, there's so much freedom uh, to really lean into your gifts and your skill sets to really do what God has called you to do. Yeah. And I said, yeah, this is the place where I think we can get a good long stretch in uh, here in Memphis. Yeah. And then was, the, was there stuff within the city that you particularly were attracted to or that you really liked or was it more the the employment situation it, it was more it was more the church now i'll be i'll be real bro we did not like memphis when we first got here homie. <laughs> like we didn't like memphis like we came from green mountains beautiful yeah. like yeah. you know what i'm saying <laughs> to to flat and hot you know what i'm saying for the okay so for but, the for people who've never been to birmingham before like birmingham is a beautiful city and it's 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 very deceptively mountainous. Like there's a lot of a lot of pretty steep elevation changes there, so you have a bunch of good views and um, a lot of you know big outdoor spaces to, to gather. Now we're Memphis has a lot of that, and it's just different. Um, but we have no hill, no hills. No. <laughs> <laughs> None. Zero. It's flat. But man, we come to love we come to love Memphis. And one of the things that we love is is, is we love the people. And yeah. the people here made Memphis something that we love. And we fell in love with the people first, and then we fall in love with the city. And so Memphis was always the place that you flew through, you never flew to. And so for us to, to get to a point where we're like, man, we want to fly to and stay here yeah. has been a process and a journey. But, man, it's been, it's been mm-hmm. one that we look back on and we're like, man, super grateful for. Yeah. Um, all right, before we go, a couple, couple last things. Um, you've got three kids. And they're now at kind of they're showing their personality type ages or two of them for sure. Um, tell us about Charlie and Kager yes. and, and what what they're like and yes. uh, yeah, tell, tell us about them. Yeah, man. So Charlie, she's six. She is a, uh, a just a sweet, uh, silly, um, uh, bossy perfectionist <laughs> in the making. 
and she is all about fun as long as it's on her terms. Mm-hmm. Um, she loves her mother. She loves her mama. She loves her siblings. She's in kindergarten, and she's so smart, and she's learning so much right now. So she's she's a daddy's girl for sure. Uh, Kager, he is the life of the party. Kager is going to be an Enneagram 7. I already know it. Like, everything's fun. Everything's a joke. Um, everything's all about the party. You know what I'm saying? Like, like see, no seriousness, like, at all whatsoever. Right. Um, he, he also does not like clothes, so he frequently runs around with no clothes on because he's for work, <laughs> and that's what he does. I was going to say, we've been to y'all's house several times while Cager's awake. I've seen him with pants on maybe once. Yeah, bro. And <laughs> I think your kids were over the day that he peed into oh, our ball God. pit while there were other kids over there. That story is still told all the time. Amos, the other day, like uh, we were on the trampoline and Micah, <clears throat> Micah was like, oh, I got to go potty, our two-year-old. And Amos goes, don't do like Cager. Cager peed all over the ball pit. Then we couldn't play in there anymore. And he was like, don't do that. <laughs> It was so. I, I'm not kidding. I laughed harder at that moment because it wasn't my kid. Like, it's funny now for you. In the moment, there were there were probably 40 people at the house in that moment, right? Like, and in the moment, you're like, now we've contaminated. We've given diseases to other kids. Like, did somebody get peed on? Like, this is this is bad, right? <laughs> I mean, like, 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 what do you do? You just, hey, I got a piece. So I think, hey, what, he, what he said is, I think this will be funny. Hey, he was right. He was right. Bro. That junk was hilarious. Mortifying, uh, bro. Mortifying, bro. So, oh, my gosh. So, anyway, and then Boss is our 10-month-old. He'll be 11 months. Uh, he'll be 11 months old in two days. And, um... Boss is just a joy, sweetest, sweetest kid. He is a massive child, um, yes. but he is uh, he is just such a joy, man, such a joy. So we love him. So those are my kiddos, man. Awesome, man. Um, all right, before we go, uh, this is I think this is our first time really having you with the young adult crowd um, here. What what do you want them to know? What are some things that you've been thinking about that you feel like might be uh, and it doesn't have to be all pastorly stuff. It could just be like, oh, I've watched this recently or listened to this recently. But um, what are some things that you would want uh, to tell our people since you've got them kind of captive here for a minute? Yeah, man, I think um, I think for all the single folks out there, it's two things. One, you're not half a person because you're not married. You're a yeah. whole person created in the image of God. And there's so much God has for you right now. And so I think for the single folks, it's, it's like lean into your holistic understanding of who God is making you Like if, if you're lonely, man, reach out. I, yeah. I, I think yes. if I'm if I'm single, going through a quarantine, and I'm not supposed to meet anybody, I'm working from the house. It can get really easy to get um, isolated and get lonely, and so man, reach out for that. I think yeah. uh, spiritually, from a spiritual level, like engage the time. Don't just waste the time, right? So engage the time, um, like mm-hmm. in ways. That- <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> I think about that every single day. And, and this is not, you know, dads complaining about not having time, but you just have an unprecedented amount of freedom during this season 
to build into yourself and to build into others uh, with almost no limitations. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. That's right. So engage the time. And I think yeah. the more that you engage the time, I think from a self-development perspective, you'll be greater. But even like just on a like person-to-person communal level, like you make your community better when you're engaging that time. So yeah, so yeah man, those are the two things I would say that, that are uh, pastoral but not like super preachy. Yeah, um, no, that's great. So, so yeah, man, I just appreciate everybody for rocking with us today, man. Yeah, I know. They, I mean, look, we've had we've had I think twenty, thirty people here the whole time. Uh, I've missed some of, some of the comments. When there's two people on, it like the comments stay super low, so it, it's been hard. So I, I'll probably go by and text y'all later who commented today. Um, man, thank y'all for watching and thank you for joining, man. This has been great. Yeah, man. Honored to be here, bro. Shout out to all the uh, fellowship young adults, except yeah. for Darius. He can go kick rocks there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Sierra agrees with you, I think, on that on that front. Um, all right. Well, Jason, it's been a joy, man. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate y'all. Yeah. All right. Love you, man. All right. Love you too, man.